Welcome to Chit Chat Money. This is our Thursday deep dive show where we interview an analyst on a single stock. Oh, not a stock this time. Uh, an individual business, let's say, because this is a bit of a, I guess, unique episode, not one that we typically go with. We're typically looking at public stocks. This was more uh, getting an understanding of what it's like to buy a small business. Paul went through the process for the first time and being able to kind of share that experience over a podcast format, I think can be helpful, maybe not for all of our listeners, but for some of the listeners that have thought about doing this themselves. Yeah. And it is uh, not just Paul with no last name. It is Paul Saro, who's been on the show before, runs an investment fund and had just started up a new call it project, call it business, uh, where he is acquiring uh, small businesses. Uh, these are you know very, very small. He goes through a lot of the details here, but it's quite interesting, the strategy uh, where there's tons of small businesses out there. He goes through the numbers where I think there's $30 trillion in estimated equity value. And that's just an estimate, but it's really, really quite large from the boomer generation and you know Gen X and uh, older that will be coming on the market in the next decade or so. So, I mean, the opportunity yeah. there is large, but a lot of people do not understand. And we're one of those too, how this sort of things work. So yeah. him going through it, I think was quite helpful. Interesting case study. Uh, yeah, you're not going to be able to buy the stock. Apologies, but we thought it was interesting nonetheless. All right. Well, before we get to our interview, we want to talk about our sponsors for the show, our exclusive and presenting sponsor, Seven Investing. Um, for this in particular sponsorship, I wanted to talk about what you actually get in an article. Just so, just for reference, any new listeners, uh, Seven Investing gives seven stock recommendations each month. They are thorough. Uh, picks. So for each one, they have a long write-up. And within that write-up, they touch on a lot of the same things we touch on in our not-so-deep dive. So they give a really simple uh, demonstration of what the business does. They talk about why they actually think it's a good investment and talk through any underlying trends that they're seeing, uh, management, the vision, valuation, and a lot of the key risks. Um, it's thorough. There's a lot of graphics as well to kind of help those that are uh, more more visually inclined through charts like myself. Um, so it's always nice to have that. And then there's a video at the end of each article that shows them pitching it to the team and they get feedback from their team. So um, you can really get a, a lot of value out of looking at all of these, um, not to mention they already have more than 200 different companies that they've recommended. So if you use our code money at checkout, you get $100 off the annual subscription uh, for uh, well, life. We are forgetting to say this, but at the end of each interview episode, at the end of each deep dive episode, we are including a snippet of our conversation that we had with Simon Erickson, the founder of Seven Investing. If you're interested in this and you don't want to just go through the, the minute and a half pitch we have here in the minute and a half advertisement, it is a five minute overview of what Seven Investing subscribers get. So if you're on the fence, listen to that and maybe you'll uh, learn more. All right. Well, once again, the code is money. And without further ado, here's our interview with Paul Cerro. Welcome to Chit Chat Money. On this show, hosts Ryan Henderson and Brett Schaefer interview industry experts and riff on the world of investing. As a quick reminder, Chit Chat Money is a CCM Media Group podcast. Ryan and Brett are also general partners at Arch Capital, and Arch Capital may have positions in the securities discussed in this podcast. Anything discussed on Chit Chat Money by Ryan or Brett or any other podcast guests is not formal advice or recommendation. Now, please enjoy this episode. 
All right, welcome in. Today we are joined by, I want to say, multi-time guest. I'm not really sure. What, what did we talk about last time? It was Petco, right? Long uh, Petco, short uh, short thesis? Or yeah, Build-A-Bear. Build-A-Bear is... Uh, we talked about that oh, with that Strat. Was, that, oh, was Strat. Strat. that was Strat. Me and, him, me and him did the research, but um, Strat did the public speaking. Ah, okay. correct. So yeah, yeah Chewy and uh, Petco. And we're continuing yeah. with the pet thing. Uh, yeah, and this is, this is going to be a unique <laughs> episode. I think some, you know... Uh, it might not be maybe maybe more of a learning lesson than public equity takeaways here, um, but big news: uh, Paul's Cedar Grove Capital uh, officially is the owner of a small business now. So I guess let's let's start with your maybe inspiration. Like, why did you choose to go down this route? Because if I remember correctly, I think the goal was to be a long, short fund with public equities, but uh, I guess you've now gone the private route as well. Yeah, no. So it was actually, when I first started Cedar Grove Capital, it was it was a long, short hedge fund. And I always thought I would just stick to that. But the the issue is, and like that's, that's what I figured out in the first half of the year. It's like, yeah, you can, like, in general, long, short is kind of like dying. Um, you, can, you can kind of have some superstars that live within that space or, you know, that strategy. Um, most have kind of pivoted to just long only. Um, but yeah, this first half of the year really, uh, really put into perspective just how hard maintaining a long short book only is, especially when it comes to volatility that's been off the charts. So, um, while Cedar Grove Capital Management is, is the public side of things, when, you know, when you're seeing the market like collapse for like, depending on where you're investing in, no reason or little reason, um, it made me think like, well, you know, you have all these funds who have invested in the public side, but then also made private transactions, right? Like the biggest one is Tiger Global Management, making all those private investments into tech that got completely crushed and they're doing absolutely terrible. But on the side of that, I'm like, but what if you actually did public and private, except the private side is a little bit more logical, Right. It wasn't like trying to invest in the pie, pie in the sky ideas of tech growth. And what that meant was cash flow, cash flow, cash flow. Like you become an owner, not necessarily like a speculative owner in the future, but like I can get paid today if I wanted to get paid today. And that's when I kind of pivoted from just a long short book for Cedar Grove Capital Management, which is transformed into a multi strategy fund, is because it's a lot, it opens the doors for ways to make money. But then also making Cedar Grove Capital Holdings um, the private side of the business, which is uh, investing, not invest, I should say investing, it's more just acquiring um, and rolling up small businesses. So yeah, I can still have the public exposure through Cedar Grove Capital Management, but then Cedar Grove Capital Holdings will be the private side of things where I can get paid today with the businesses that I own because of me just outright owning them. Gotcha. And we're going to get into the specific investment because I think people are interested in the process and how it works. But what, what's the structure? Do you have uh, the same outside investors? Is it two separate funds or uh, is it just a mix? It's different. So so Cedar Grove Capital Management, which is the public side, that's, that's, that's like managed money. Cedar Grove Capital Holdings, since that's the holding co, that encompasses... Cedar Grove Capital Management, which is a public fund, and anything that I roll up into that. So 
I own 100% of that. Um, and that's kind of how that's structured. So it's a holding company that has um, the public fund in there, but then also what will be all the other smaller entities of private businesses as well. And that's kind of how I structured that. Well, I imagine it's probably, and I guess you'll, maybe it hasn't said it yet, but I imagine it's probably pretty nice to not have prices quoted to you every day for what your business is worth. Yeah. So. <laughs> you know what? Yes. Cause like, you know, I said this whole year, I've been sitting in front of the screen, like, why is this dropping 5% today? I can't find a set. I can't find a single reason why it's dropping. Yeah, and and yeah. you know, like, yeah, you're like, you're seeing stuff like tick by tick, which is obviously not what you're supposed to do, but like in a market volatility like this, you're kind of like biting your nails to the point where, you know, like there's nothing left. Um, so while that is true, I will say that the, instead of focusing on the tick marks, you're now focusing on your like daily or weekly P&Ls, which is kind of like same, same, but different. More, more on the operation side. Okay. Let's, let's talk about kind of the process that you went through here. Um, how long did it take from going from, all right, I'm interested. I would rather have something that's not quoted every day and it's going to generate real cash for me to finding a business and closing on it. Yeah. So to put it into context, so, I'm I'm dipping my feet, not even my feet, sorry, I'm dipping my toes in. And for everybody that's listening, what that means, it's not like I'm buying out there going and buying a $10 million business or a $20 million business. I'm, I'm actually buying a few hundred thousand dollar business. So this is kind of like on par with um, what the cost would be if you bought a house, right? Except instead of you living in said house, I'm actually getting, there's operations under it, there's cash flow, et cetera. So when everyone is listening to this, it's more put into perspective of like the average Joe. I would I would quote unquote on that now. I don't know what the average is anymore. Um, could potentially go down this path. So, and I wanted to do that because I don't want to like put too much capital at risk. God forbid I screw this up. You know, it's like hey, going with a small little venture, um, I can go with a smaller deal. So I was looking at deals um, back in August actually. Cause that's something that hit me in the, in the face. I was like, I got to diversify because this, this public stuff is not going to be getting me the returns that I want solely. Um, so I started looking around in August, you know, I wanted to look at certain key attributes of businesses that I'd like to acquire. One is that I needed to have like some kind of knowledge in it. And since I invest in, in, in consumer companies, um, it was kind of like, Hey, it's going to be consumer focused. And that kind of like narrows down your list because, you know, it's not going to be, I'm not going to buy a concrete, you know, slab maker or like brick laying company. I'm not going to do that, right? I'm not going to buy SaaS companies because I don't know SaaS companies. I can, I can try to, but I don't know how to, you know, um, you know, grow them. So, living as a consumer companies, you know, with within um, the space of, I wouldn't say recession proof, but recession resilient. And with that, and there's a very clear difference between that because it can still be affected by a recession, but just not as much, right? Um, so it needed to have uh, low underlying trends of cyclicality. So like it's some people are just going to need it, right? Um, and it's actually something that not only what I know, but also something that I would actually be like remotely passionate about because it's not, it's not just like cranking numbers on a spreadsheet, right? If I'm not going to be invested into the business and it's almost like I'm not going to be caring as much, which, you know, is obviously not good. Um, so I kind of narrowed down my search and that kind of landed me in the pet business um, because 
no matter if there is a recession or a boom, you need to take care of your dog. Um, and the only reason why you wouldn't take care of your dog is for two reasons, actually. One, you're a negligent pet owner <laughs> or two, um, you gave up your dog because like the recession was too bad or something, right? Those are the only like real reasons why it would happen. And given how the trends have, um, you know, been moving uh, toward in this space, you're going to do it. Um, so pet services is what I landed on. Um, and uh, specifically about grooming and bathing. So there's always going to be people who need their dogs groomed. There's always going to need people who need their dogs bathed if they don't do it themselves for whatever reason. Um, and, you know, there's also the ancillary services, too, that you need, like nail clippings, um, eye cleanings, ear cleanings, um, uh, slight trims, you know. Um, it, it's all that stuff that it's basically like dog maintenance. I would almost I would almost chalk it up to, like, a woman getting her nails done, like nail, uh, whether it's her pedicure or manicure, stuff like that. That's kind of what I would nail it at. So landing on pet services, specifically grooming and bathing. Um, but yeah, that's what I landed on. Are you leaving the, just so listeners understand, because I think, you know, there's people out there that are listening in the investing world that might want to replicate this someday or something similar. Are you leaving the owner uh running the business and you just own it or sorry sorry the the previous owner running the business still or are you trying to operate this thing um i guess that's a good that's a good question because i think a lot of people when they do buy out businesses they they would rather keep the owner on so that they can just like hey i'll just pay you a salary you stay on and then i'll just reap whatever benefits basically come out of that net right um my owner, the one who sold it to me, she wanted to she wanted to move. So that's kind of why she was getting rid of it. She's like, hey, I want to move down south. I am tired of New York. <laughs> it is too cold up here. I hate it. So that's why she wanted to sell it. So, but she already had a staff. So what essentially ended up happening was, um, you know, I bought it from her. You know, she's out, but she part of her part of the contract was her training, not only myself. But then the current staff to basically operate uh, without her, and that includes you know getting a manager in there to take her spot. So it's not me really running the day to day per se. It's going to be the staff that's already there um, plus the manager, uh, and then you know like I would be checking in on it, making sure that you know I can do whatever I can to improve the business, whether it's operationally or you know growth wise for marketing, etc. So in this particular case. The owner did not stay on, just just is being held on for you know contractual training purposes. But then after that, you know she's uh, she's free to go. Was this an intimidating process for you? Hundred thousand percent. I did not realize how complicated this was because it's so easy. Like when you're buying a public equity, right? You're just like, hey, you know, give me like ten thousand shares of X Y Z. Um, give me long up until this price, you know, et cetera, et cetera. Like you're, 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 you're executing on an order that could be filled in like a millisecond. Um, and that's all, that's all it is too. The only thing you have to worry about is just like your risk exposure and like what you think is going to happen here is like, okay, legalese, like you got to have paperwork. That's got the dom- the commas and the periods to a T you got to make sure that, you know, like your, your bank that's financing, which I did SBA financing is um you know able to not only facilitate it for you but then also like kind of like not have issues with the deal because you know there's 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 certain leeway that 
banks like to have when it comes to funding to so make sure that you're not like over leveraging yourself. Um, so it's a ton of paperwork gathering, proving who you are, proving who they are, making sure the money makes sense, making sure the financials make sense, making sure that, you know, the bank is not going to get screwed over and lending you money because, um, you know, rates now, SBA goes off of the Wall Street prime rate, which people don't know. It's basically an aggregate rate of what banks are lending at. Um, and that's been skyrocketing with the Fed's fund rate. And then on top of that, you get a spread. So you're talking like at this point, it's almost, no, yeah, at this point, it's double digits uh, for percentages. So, you know, you got to make sure that the, the business is healthy enough to, to take on that level of interest rate on your debt. You know, it's just a bunch of all this like paperwork that needs to get done before you even get the, before you can even distribute the money, even get the money and distribute the money. Um, so it is not for the faint of heart. I will admit that, but it's definitely, I learned a lot in the, in the last three months. Yeah. But I mean, I feel like there's some uh, sense of security in buying public equity because you know that there's a collection of investors and there's a different management team and, and you're really hands off and it's kind of, there's, I don't know, some com confirmation or comfort in thinking that, but when you're buying a business outright and you're the sole owner, I imagine that process can be uh, yeah, maybe not for the faint of heart. Um, Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. So how did you get in touch with the previous owners? Yeah, it's actually funny because, you know, starting from scratch, you know, and again, this is a few hundred thousand dollar business so or deal. So it's not like, you know, I'm, I'm using, you know, insider network here. I actually went to a site and it was funny because uh, I saw it. And some YouTube ad, actually, not YouTube ad, sorry, some, some YouTube like interview or podcast or something. And it's called Biz by Sell. It's like the best or the biggest um, online listing place for businesses uh, to, to sell themselves. Um, and that's actually how I found the, uh, her and the business. Um, and, you know, immediately it kind of just like jumped at me just from the listings. I knew something wasn't right. Um, but, um, you know, I went ahead and like called anyway. And then, uh, she basically had like mislabeled it on the actual listing. And that's kind of, I guess that's why nobody was really reaching out to her. Cause it looked like it was a bad deal. Um, so when I contacted her, we actually got the right information. I'm like, okay, this makes a lot more sense now. And I was just from like my, my gut, just deciding to reach out. Uh, but there are plenty plenty of businesses that are selling and actually one stat that i wanted to give um anybody that's listening because you know you have thousands of stocks that are traded on the stock market right whether you're talking about like domestic or like adrs you know if you go if you're going abroad you know etc cetera, etc cetera. there's just like so many businesses that are out there that are looking to be sold so they're one of the, the biggest reasons why i also went into you know besides like getting cash out the door is that i saw these stats and i it kind of blew my mind so if you want to talk about big picture, like 
30,000 foot, foot, foot view here, there's about $30 trillion worth of small businesses in America right now, like 30 trillion. And um, of those 30 trillion, there are 10,000 baby boomers, you know, the, the, the generation like post-war um, that are retiring every day. And there are currently 2.4 million businesses that are on sale right now. And 70% of them are expected to be sold in the next 10 to 15 years. Um, so you have basically everything working for you in the sense that the market is there. There are people who are like, hey, I've done my time. I want to get out and sell it to the next person who wants to take it on from me, aka someone who's willing enough to take on that challenge. Um, and uh, it, because of how the baby boomer generation was, you have not just like in the next couple of years, you have over the next decade to basically strategize and get to pick from these businesses that these boomers want to leave. Um, so you're, you got, you're, you're talking about ripe pickings right now. And so happened that person that I bought it from was looking to get out and move. And I, that's like, there you go. That's one of them right there. Um, so that connection with biz by sell got me in touch with this business. Um, and then we went to the whole like shebang of SBA financing and due diligence, et cetera. Um, and now as of yesterday, I own it. All right. Beautiful. Take us through what the business is as best you can. I know there's some things that since it's, well, I don't know how much, you know, you can share, but I think listeners want to be interested in, would be interested in, you know, how a business like this looks compared to a public market company um, and what sort of multiples. Oh yeah. That's the thing. Yeah. And this is very important because it's not what you're used to. Right. And this is what's key. So if you look at, Let's just talk about it's a simple business that probably everybody knows. All right, like let's say like Lululemon, right? Lululemon is um, actually no, let's go something simpler. We're gonna go with like literally just like a restaurant. Like let's just talk about like one single McDonald's restaurant, right? If you're looking at the public markets, you're looking at McDonald's, the company, as uh, a, a global entity, right? Like you, don't, you, the line items that you work with are the line items that they share with you on their you know, 10 Ks, 10 Qs, et cetera, right? Like you, you really don't know what's exactly going into SGNA. You don't know exactly what's going into like sales and marketing, right? Like those are just line items that you can kind of just see the trends and make extrapolations on, but you don't know anything past that, right? Um, if you go one, one step below that, right? Now let's go with like private equity. So private equity would take um, the business and they know a little bit more, right? Because they're the owners and operators. They got They have to understand what goes in to, oh, sorry, let me backtrack. The McDonald's at the public equity side, let's just say you're paying like 20 times earnings for it. All right. That's just because that's what everybody else is trading at 20 times. Now, if you go to the private equity side, they know what's happening operationally. Um, but, you know, since they're putting on a ton of debt, you know, they're not going to be, they're not going to be buying it at, you know, 20 times earnings because they're loading it up with leverage. So they'll pay like something, let's just say, let's cut it in half. Let's say 10 times. They'll pay 10 times earnings because of all the leverage that they're putting on it. You know, they do the back end math because they think they can cut costs here. Um, they think they can grow it this way or like do some type of like internal partnership network stuff that they currently have to make it better, flip it in a few years and make some money. But what's interesting is that if you go down to the next layer, you know, below PE, we're talking every day, you, me, you know, John Smith from the coffee shop, because 
of how these businesses are, you don't, you do not value them the same way. Meaning like you're, you're not going to be taking out its cash flows five or 10 years and discounting them back. And then boom, that's the value. No, that's not how you do it. That's how you do it when a company is big enough and, you know, it's, it's going to continue to the person who's like selling it is not looking to have retirement money, right? Like you're, you're looking to get paid now, not five years from now. So when you look at these, when you look at these small businesses, they do get valued on a multiple basis. So that's, that's the one commonality, but what you're paying on is far less. And it's on a, it's on a, it's on a metric called SDE, which is seller's discretionary earnings. Because if you're talking about a small business, the owner of the small business is technically, that's, 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 that's pretty much how they're making their money. That's how they're making their living. So when you talk about SDE, that's like what they bring home from the business to live off of, to pay their bills, et cetera. And the multiple that you pay can be anywhere from something low, like one times earnings to depending on what the business is, like maybe like six, seven, if it's like an internet type of company or something like that. Um, and the, and the reason why you do that is because if I'm selling it to you today, I'm like, Hey, you pay me two times my, my last year or my, whatever this year's, uh, earnings I'm out, you're in, I can go retire. I'm done with it. And then you can do whatever you want because as an owner, you're looking to get paid now and not what it could be worth 10 years from now, if that makes sense. No, that totally makes sense. And they can, yeah, they want that retirement. Basically that's their retirement savings and they can put it into whatever a 60, 40 portfolio, whatever they want. They're looking for security at that point. Um, what is like, I guess it's not too relevant, but what is this business, uh, in, in the pet market? Because you know, what attracted it to you, you to it and is your goal to grow this thing or, you know, manage it? I guess that's probably the big, you know, question anyone listening has is, you know, there, there's all that nervousness around, all right, I got this thing now. What do I do operationally? Yeah. And I think, so here's my goal. This is, and this is kind of what the true phase of Cedar Grove Capital and it's, you know, and, and state would look like, right. It's buying up all these consumer related companies in different spaces. And the interesting thing is like, if I'm paying, let's just hypothetically say I buy 10 pet salons at two times each. Right. So like, you know, I call, you know, call it like, I don't know, like $500,000 at two times. Each one's, each one's a million. Right. Um, that's $10 million in quote unquote value that I have paid for. Right. But the thing is, once you actually have enough of these, like we're talking like not just like three or four, right. You're talking about like over 10, maybe a dozen, you know, more. What's interesting is you've now reached a new class of valuation. You've now reached interest of private equity level because private equity firms don't care about buying out the one small business. They want to buy groups of things because that's how they can actually be able to, you know, leverage their expertise and make money. So now, even though I just paid two times for the business, the business is because I've graduated to a new class, private equity starts getting involved. And now it's not worth two times. It's worth like six, seven, eight times. And automatically, because I've entered a new class, because I've rolled up these businesses, I've already created immediate value just from that me graduating into the next class. So my, my idea is having 
you know, different kinds of pet businesses. I'm looking into um, fitness businesses. I understand fitness. I'm looking into. Um, By fit, like, you mean not pet fitness? You mean like no, just no, not pet fitness, okay. just like right. fitness? Yeah, different kind of things. Because the thing is, like, if you just keep getting them, you can become like one big conglomerate of companies that you can kind of like carve out things in the future if you need to. Um, because this business is not rocket science. The one that I just bought, it's literally you're bathing a dog and you're cutting its hair. That's literally it. There's no rocket there's science. Tons, to there's it. tons of those out there that do quite and well. There's tons of them. There's tons yeah. of them. Um, I mean, this woman made so much money over the life that she's had this business. Um, and she was ready to get out. So it's, 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 I, I use this analogy because I know you guys know the company. It's almost kind of creating like an internal, like, IAC, but like for yourself, right? It's just, a, it's just a bunch of different brands under one holding company. And like, that's just what it is. Yeah, right. And are, then there's plenty of other software or sorry, conglomerate examples out there. So you're trying to take the, the best lessons from, I mean, you know, we're not, no one's going to replicate Constellation software overnight, but you're trying to take the no. best lessons from someone like that. And then, the, the, yeah, because the thing is, uh, if you, if you do it right, right. And you just keep rolling up the equity. Like the thing is like, I don't have to worry about shareholders. It's just me. I don't have to worry about, um, like, uh, going to a well, board. It's just, you don't me. know that yet. One day. Maybe one day. That's the thing. That's because it's like, <laughs> the, I, I actually asked a bunch of people, I was like, do you think you would do this alone? Or do you think you would do it with somebody else? Like, I mean, just somebody like just other people, right? Like all the shareholders. And, you know, he told me that he told me like, if you want to go uh, fast, go alone. But if you want to go far, you know, go with somebody else. And I'm like, that's a good point. And it's like, what do I want to do? Do I want to go fast or do I want to go far? And I'm a very contrarian and thinking too. And I'm like, why can't I just have both? You know? Um, so like, it's still TBD on like what will happen. But I think if I can get it to a point where I've done so much on my own. I just won't have to dilute myself in the future as much because I've already built up such a strong enough base that if anybody, if anybody wants to buy in, you know, I'm not, I'm not having to give up as much. Um, so while there might be people out there listening in right now who are like, Hey, if I can own like one, two, three businesses and make like half a million dollars a year, great. And then there's some people who are like, you know, I don't want three businesses. I want 30 businesses. Then it's a different kind of game you're playing, right? But it's but but no matter how you cut it, one way or another, there are so many average people that can still play this game. It's just a matter of, you have to decide which one you want to play. Okay, let's put the uh the CEO hat on or maybe the operator hat for a second and talk about this business specifically. What are I guess what are the risks like what would stop this business from generating a good, a healthy amount of earnings for you as the owner? And then maybe do you plan on like building another one of these kind of stores? Like what's, what's the, the, the upside for it? That's the thing. Yeah. And so I, I know Brett, you asked me this earlier and I kind of got off sidetrack. So I think there's, two ways that people look at these businesses when you, when you, when you're looking to buy them, right? Like one is just like, Hey, if I just buy it right now and just keep it going, is that, is that enough cash flow to me where I can just, you know, live off, not even, maybe not even live off, just like treat myself with things, right? I can get, I can get that car that I wanted. I can pay for my, my kid's college tuition. I can, 
um, you know, get a nicer house, right? Because this business is able to give me that. I don't have to do anything other than just keep it going and not die, you know, et cetera, right? But then you have the people who are like me, or it's like, um, I'm I'm trying to juice my returns here. I'm not just doing this for like, you know, like some side money, you know? So it's like, right, when I look at the business, you know, there's an advantage that I think a, I don't want to say season, but I want to say like someone who actually has some type like operational knowledge um, has, right? So a lot of mom and pop businesses lack a lot of knowledge in like, technology, operational efficiencies, you know, cost cutting things. And you walk in there and you're like, I could save so much money if I just cut that out, or I could actually improve sales if I just like increase the price on this. You know, it's like you, your mind just keeps racing with like, what can I do with this business? And for the one that I just purchased, she has done an excellent job with this business. She has grown, uh, I think, uh, sub 20% over the last three years. And that was through COVID. Um, so compounded for the last three years, sub 20%. Um, so she's done excellent. And when I go there, I'm like, all right, well, you know, like we can do, we can add in more groomers, right? We can get more sales coming in the door because we're fully booked. If we're already having demand and not enough supply, let's, let's meet that, right? We can get more money through the door. Um, when it comes to efficiency, it's like, uh, how can I get my workers to, you know, groom more dogs? faster or bathe more dogs faster? Can I improve store layout to make it so that, um, you know, they can get uh, three dogs done in an hour instead of like two, you know, it's stuff like that. Um, and then also improving like worker happiness, making sure they stay, um, improving like efficiencies with like, can I get some cost deductions on um, like bulk uh, inventory stuff like paper towels and uh, paper towels, towels, soap, um, like all the stuff that we need, like, is there anything I can do to negotiate that kind of stuff? Um, because when you're talking about a physical retail store footprint, it's like, how much can I maximize my sales per square foot to the point where I think I can get to that. And that's why when you're doing these walkthroughs, everything races through your mind. I'm like, all right, what can I improve and what can it get for me? So let's say November 22nd, 2024, you've collected two years worth of, of owner earnings and haven't made any, it's, it's done well, but you haven't made any changes yet. Would you want to take that cash and reinvest it into a different kind of consumer business? Or do you think you would maybe pop up a second one in Hoboken or, or like try to expand this in particular brand? Oh, I mean, so you're saying within two years, if I didn't do anything besides like just let it do its thing, what would I like, do? Would you rather reinvest it in this existing business or buy a different one? That's the beauty of it because with this business, which applies to a lot of businesses. So if, anybody, if anybody's looking for a small business acquisition, it applies to a lot of them. If you can get, if you can grow the business, um, more than like what it's like, I guess, like baseline growth is, right? You're going like incremental here. Um, any type of reinvestment you do can literally just be off of that growth, depending on how capital intensive it is. For pet grooming, it's not capital intensive. It's a service, right? Like what am I, like, what am I paying for, for, for physical goods? I'm not like selling you dog food. I'm selling you someone's time to groom your dog. So it's like, if I can like be able to get more of that, that's high margin. That's super high margin. So I can actually take my incremental gain of earnings by growing the business 
and, you know, like improve on maybe another um, grooming stand, which would then yield me more ability to get in more dogs with more revenue. Or I can do another bathtub and to give me uh, incremental dogs coming in for baths. Um, or I can just keep my employees happy by, you know, like getting them nicer tables, nicer equipment, et cetera, et cetera. So I can just do all of that with my incremental earnings just because of how well I'm doing, like allegedly, right? Um, because when it comes to the baseline earnings, you can take that and you can do whatever you want with it. Like I said earlier before, take that money and buy a house, take that money and buy a car, do whatever you want with it. Me, I'm taking that money and I'm going to be buying another one because I would rather hedge my risk in acquiring a business that I know is going to be, is doing well and will continue to do well, then try to start from scratch. Um, just don't get me wrong. You can make more money if it starts from scratch because you get to keep all of it, right? And it's like, assume, uh, presumably a lower cost to build, depending on, again, depending on what the business is. But I would rather pay a little extra for something that I know has already worked, that already has a client base, that already has, you know, systems up and running and a staff and not have to worry about that and just be able to take whatever fire is going on there and then just pour a little gasoline on it. And then I can just keep doing it and keep doing it. And that's the whole point of the whole roll-up strategy. How has this, if at all, changed the way you view public equities or public equity investing? Um, It's only changed it in one way. I still think for the most, for, for the majority of investors out there, public equities is still the way to go. Um, and you know, I, 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 do you guys follow or know of him? It's on Twitter, Michael Girdley. I've uh, seen the name. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. He, he's, yes. yeah. He's one of the bigger Twitter, um, SMB guys. He's was it SMB twit or something. I don't know what it's called, but yeah. So he, he actually put, um, he asked a question the other night. He's like, what's the most annoying business advice you you, you've heard. And I told, I responded and he, he agreed with me. I said, um, when somebody tells you that anyone can do it, because in reality, no, not anyone can do it. This isn't like that chef from Ratatouille. Like, no, no one can, not everyone can cook. Some people should not cook. You know what I'm saying? So when it comes to like public equities, I think a majority of people can invest in public equities. It's not hard, but I do think a majority uh, should not be active. I think a majority should be very passive. And that's why you have the index funds, you have these ETFs, you know, power to you. But what I think the problem is when it comes to, I mean, this is why my, my, my views have kind of changed. When it comes to public equities and private transactions, right? You, you have this, and I think COVID really screwed it up, is you have this like logic in your head where you're like, if I'm not making over 25% this year, you know, I suck as an investor. It's like, no, dude, that's not how it works. <laughs> you know, it's like you do this over the long run because the game that you're playing is for the long term. If you don't understand that, then you're you're not you should not be playing this game, right? That's why they, that's why you have institutional investors who manage money because they're not playing that game. They're playing, I need to get returns in a year, not 10 years. You know what I'm saying? Some funds obviously are like that, but for the majority, it's the other one. Um, so when it comes to private transactions, it's not like, hey, I'm gonna buy this, I'm gonna flip it next year. It's like, no, that's not gonna happen. You gotta have the mindset that you're gonna be in this for the long run. And you have to have the and you have to have the knowledge to be an owner operator and improve this business. Otherwise, it's just existing. You're really not getting much out of it. Um, so when it comes to my logic, it's like I can get like in my in my post that I made, I can get sixty percent 
cash on cash returns on my first year of owning this business, 60%. And I can get paid back my entire equity, my whole principal that I put in, in seven months. Whereas if I'm looking at um, a public equity side, if I make 15% this year, which no shot that's happening, but if I made 15% this year, that's great for the public markets, you know? There's very different, you know, lenses and perspectives that are going on between public and private. And that's the real difference is like, you got to know like what you're shooting for and like the realistic targets are. Does it, does seeing the intricacies and being so hands-on of the small business. So like, you know, putting up flyers or, or contributing to Google AdSense to try to get new customers and, you know, finding the right software to, uh, to kind of run the business. D- does that give you a newfound appreciation for like a large cap business? Like how much easier that is, how much m- more fluidly that runs at See, that stage thing, you would think it does because the thing is like we're so we're so numb to thinking that large cap companies have figured it out and while they really have they do they have they have the ability to test a lot of bullshit excuse my language of seeing what could work and not work right like not every ad campaign that we've seen from these large cap companies makes sense i mean like um i can't name one off the top of my head but like uh, actually, was oh, but you, you guys watched the World Cup, so you, I'm sure you've seen it. Did you see that Louis Vuitton ad between uh, Messi and Ronaldo yes, playing yes. playing chess? Amazing, yeah, amazing ad, and it's just a, it's a still frame picture, and it's an amazing ad for the brand and to coincide with that marketing. That's an excellent marketing thing, but they have the ability to kind of just screw around with campaigns. Like the car car companies spend billions of dollars every year on ads and. Does, does that make you want to go out and buy the car? Like, no, but it's going to make you think about that car and the next time you maybe want to, you know, um, when it comes to small businesses, if you're spending money on marketing, that marketing campaign has to have an immediate return or that's just cash. You just lit on fire that you're not going to get back, you know? Right. Um, so while you can, you're going to have play money in large caps, small businesses, if you make a campaign, you got to make sure that it actually works and um, that it has some type of like call to action for you to get an incremental business. Otherwise you're not going to do it. Less efficiency at the, at the larger scale. That would plus, make sense. Uh, plus a small business. You don't have to worry about stock-based compensation. So there you go. See, yeah, no dilution. I love it. That's another positive. That is, it does complicate things, I guess. Um, all right. So I guess I think this has been probably helpful for people that are interested in this. Do you plan on doing some more of these maybe not in the near term but and do you plan on having outside investors that's uh, i guess a big question i want to honestly i want to see how far i can get on my own just because i'm greedy and i'd rather keep the whole thing for myself if i have to get investors like yeah there's been a ton of people who are like i will write you a check right now (laughs) and i'm like yeah but i don't know if i want to right now um because like once you start talking to them about these opportunities you're just they're just like wait you're making how much like you did, you bought this for how little? And you're like, yeah, that's just how it works. Um, and, you know, they see the opportunity, but then they themselves know that they are not an operator person. They're like, hey, I will write you a check, but I'm not going to be in there in the trenches, you know, like figuring out how to grow this business from the ground up. You know, like that's 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 on you, you know, and I'll just pay you to do that. Um, I do have a goal of 
getting another like potentially depending on size like one to two next year which will bring in a decent amount of money um but the, the thing that like i guess your viewers really have to take from this and that's kind of like um, i'm sorry i've kind of gone off track with that is that um there are plenty of businesses out there for people who feel that they can do this not honestly can use i don't mean financially i mean like if you think you can actually be a business owner um and maybe even still hold your main job i don't know right uh that then there's an opportunity out there and then when you when you look at it a little bit further you have to really look at yourself and decide all right there's thousands of different types of businesses out there which one's the best for me maybe not the one that has the best returns but which one's the best for me because I need to be vested in it. Otherwise I'm going to let it sink because it's just, you know, laziness or boredom or like whatever, I don't know what I'm doing. Um, and I think you guys would agree that over the last two years, there's been so many of those stupid TikTok video ads about do this for passive income and do that for passive income. Yeah. yeah there's no such thing as passive income. That's all bullshit, but, but you can find a business that can produce you an additional income stream, right? That may not be as intensive. Um, and I think what was it like one stat was like most of the like 98% of millionaires have like seven income streams or something like that. Well, you own another business, boom, there's two, you know what I'm saying? Um, so it's being able to strategically not only build up your net worth, maybe through these businesses, but also increase the cash that is going to you with all these like tax incentives of being a business owner so that you can you know, write that check for your college tuition. You can buy that new car that you want. You can upgrade your house, you know, stuff like that. Um, and the process is a hard one. And that's why I said, no, not anyone can do this. There are quite a lot of people that cannot do this. Um, and you have to make sure that you think the juice is worth the squeeze and understand how hard that squeeze is going to be because it's not, it's not easy. Um, but if you're up for it, that there are businesses out there, there are ways to finance things. I can't, I can't even imagine, you can't even describe to you how many, how many ways I've learned how to raise capital for a business if I wanted to, uh, on the small business side. Um, and, um, yeah, going from there, seeing if it's worth it. You know, like there's so many people on hashtag SMB, uh, Twitter that's like just talks about this stuff. And, you know, if it's something like, you know, even you, you, you yourselves, if you want to expand your podcast by, you know, doing like, some type of acquisition of another podcast just to get their, 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 their customer base. That's dude, that's, that's, that's what an acquisition of a small business is. You know what I'm saying? It's yeah. like, that's how little it could be. There's a lot of, yeah, there's a lot of small businesses out there. And like you mentioned, uh, people are retiring every, every, every day. Podcasts are generally high margin. So there are not many costs. <laughs> that's the yeah. thing. It's like, would you, would you rather, uh, what's the size of a, of an investor's portfolio these days? Uh, was it like 20 grand, 25 grand? Let's just say, let's just say, say $25,000. Sure. For a retail investor, let's just say they have 25 grand and a public uh, and a uh, brokerage account. You know, if you, let's just say best case scenario, you can compound that for 10% a year for the next like three years. And the, on the public side of things, great. No problem. But let's say you took that 25 grand and you bought um, a vending machine business. That's literally all you have to do is just refill, you know, whatever. And you and you put in that full $25,000, but it gives you like an annual return of like 20% net of, you know, taxes and interest and everything, right? That's like, that's like cash. 
that is a logically speaking with numbers that is a better business that is a better way for ca- your own personal capital allocation you just have to do a little bit more work than just buy and sell on a brokerage you know what i'm saying and more, that's potentially more headache it's a little bit more headache but the thing is like more risk more reward right but this this risk is something that is honestly it's a hundred percent dependent on you you are the masters of your own fate like get brett right you guys are the masters of your podcast whatever happens right. that you can't blame it on somebody else it's you guys if you want to make it a success which you have been doing which i love listening to you guys's podcast all the time you you have been working hard at it if you want to make it a success you will make it a success and that's how you can reap the rewards for these people who want to get like I just want to deposit my money in a crypto account and make 20% APY because of no fucking reason, because it doesn't make any sense. That's on you, dude. You took that risk, but that doesn't make any sense. What I'm buying right now is tangible. I can hold it. I'm the master of my own fate. And whatever happens is because it's on me. And whatever I reap is because of what I did. So if I can get you know, a 20% return on a business because I got to put a little bit of legwork in, you know, in doing it, great. Or I can just sit back and make on average, what's the return? Yeah, 9%, 10%, whatever, in an S&P fund. The choice is yours. You know, what's, what's, uh, who's that guy? Matt Damon on crypto, like fortune favors the bold or brave or some, something uh, like that. Yes. Whatever, that stupid thing. Yeah, but it is, it is, it is only for those who want to take on that risk. And there's only a certain amount of people who actually would want to do that. And there's only a certain amount of people of that section who actually pull the trigger. And they are the ones who everybody on who on who everybody on Twitter kind of like looks up to is in like, oh man, that's such a great idea. Like that guy's killing it, blah, 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 blah. You could be that guy if you feel like you could be that guy, you know? Yeah. There, I mean, yeah, I think it's more what would you characterize as the risk? The risk of time spent? Is that kind of are you able to spend the time? Is that what people should be asking themselves or I think, it's a, yeah, I think it's I think it's yeah, I think it's a combination of the time you have to spend, but then also like the knowledge of that particular business, right? Like I'm never gonna enter a car mechanic business. I don't know shit about cars, you know. Like I just I just give it to the mechanic and let him do his thing. But a pet business, like I own a dog, I've invested in in public equities of, of pet companies, like I understand that business. So I can actually add some, you know value there. Like, I'm not going to know how to cut a hair's dog's hair. I don't, you know, I don't know how to do that. I pay someone to do that. Um, but the other thing too is, and I think it's tough for everybody, like you, me, everybody's listening. The notion that in the public markets, if I'm down 30% and I hate this so much with a burning passion, you always have like those people in the background. Oh yeah, but dude, you're a long-term investor. Just wait 10 years. You'll make back your money. And I'm like, if I'm down 30% in a year and I got to wait 10 years, I'm going to say 10, I'll go five years to make it back. That sucks. Are you kidding me? If I'm a business owner, right? And I'm like rolling up these businesses. If I'm down 30% in a year, something happened, right? That I did not foresee coming. Like, I, like whatever, you know? So that's just not going to happen, right? So it's like, I can keep, I, if you're talking about ebbs and flows here, the differences between like what, what, a, what a potential investor might have is like, I don't have to have those ebbs and flows. I really don't want to have those ebbs and flows, right? Like if I have to pay, I have to, I have to, you know, like hit pavement to get things back on track. I can do that. I'm not going to walk into Tim Cook's office tomorrow and be like, Hey, what's up with this capital allocation strategy? Do you got to do more share buyback? That's not going to happen. You know what I'm saying? So that's a very big difference that I've noticed is like 
thinking all this whole like down 30% long-term investor bullshit. And then a private, private business owner, like, yeah, I can just keep growing because again, I'm in control of that. Not what the market tells me. Right. All right. Well, I think that's all the questions we have. I know we're coming up on time um, for people that want to keep up with you and, and keep up with more of uh, any, any small business developments. What's the best place to do that? Yeah. You just go on my Twitter, my personal Twitter. It's just at Paul Cero, C-E-R-R-O. Um, I usually just talk about that kind of stuff. And I, I usually link the work from Cedar Grove Capital Management whenever I post updates on the uh, the fund um, or what is now the new holding company Twitter. But that's a work in progress. All right. Perfect. Well, that is going to do it. We want to remind our listeners that Brett and I are not financial advisors. Anything we say or discuss here on Chit Chat Money is not formal advice or recommendation. We are, however, general partners at Arch Capital. Uh, we don't have any, <laughs> the investors do not have any position in the uh, business discussed on this podcast today, but. And I can say for confidence that it will, that is, you know, no one <laughs> except Paul will be on <laughs> for the foreseeable future. Right. But uh Nevertheless, it, it's it's not financial advice. So uh, appreciate everyone listening. Thanks again, Paul, for coming on the show. And we'll see you all next time. Hey, Simon, we wanted to ask you a few questions about 7investing so listeners could get an idea of what they're getting. What inspired you to start the company and what exactly is seven investing well hey ryan thanks again for having me you know we from years of working in the investing industry it was inspired by conversations with people that would just always have kind of the same negative perception of the stock market right it's it's too hard or i don't have time for this or this is stacked against me and those conversations kind of led me to say, hey, we need to create a site that actually does inspire people to say, you can take control of your financial future. You can invest in stocks. You can find good stocks to buy and hold for long periods of time. And at the end of the day, too, we know that everybody is different. Um, we don't believe that there is one stock that fits for everyone, right? Maybe you're a, a dividend-loving, you know, paycheck-cashing uh, income investor that might want an option that's going to be a lower-risk dividend-paying stock, especially right now with the economy being what it is. Uh, and then other people might say, hey, you know, I'm ready to hold on for 20 or 30 years. I want to take some swings for the fences. Let's go after those high-growth opportunities. And so I, I said, you know, this would be something that would be even more fun rather than just doing educational and as and by myself. I said, what if I brought together a team of seven advisors, all with a diverse background and a diverse perspective of the stock market? So we could uncover more stones and look at a bunch of different stocks with a bunch of different investing styles and a whole bunch of different industries. And so seven investing is, is kind of the uh, the genesis of all of those that we started in uh, in March of 2020. And we said, let's look at a whole bunch of different stocks. Let's do the legwork of the analysis and let's present our seven favorite actionable ideas every month for investors to choose from. Now let's start the conversation about which of these stocks is right for you and which one might be the right fit for your portfolio, knowing that investing is a very personal thing. All right. If you are a subscriber of 7investing, what do you get? Can you give an overview of what subscribers get? 
On the very first of every month, Brett, we release our seven new recommendations. So we are uh, coming up on October 1st here, at least in the recording of this. And, you know, on October 1st, we'll release seven recommendation reports. Some of them will be low risk. Some of them will be high risk. Some of them will be biotech. Some of them will be financial services. We run the full gamut. And as a member, you get immediate access to all of the new reports. But you also get access to all of our old recommendations as well. We track all of them in real time on our scorecard at 7investing.com slash recommendations. And we also provide company updates on all of those previous recommendations as well. We check in on how things are going. And sometimes we even see red flags that we think people should be aware of. There's risks for any opportunity at the time that you recommend it. And sometimes it's really willing, it's really, it's really needed for investors to kind of understand the risk and reward relationship. And then the last part of it is in addition to issuing new recommendations and providing updates on them is we know that this is a long-term journey. We know that investing is something that we want to take uh, years, if not decades, to accomplish whatever we want to get to as, as the end goal. And so we always, every month, make it a point to be very available for our subscribers to ask us questions. We have a members-only call uh, right in the middle of every single month. We have a community discussion forum that we that we have available 24-7 to not only talk to our advisors, but also other investors. I think that's one of the key differentiators for 7investing is that, you know, we know this is a long-term journey. We know it's a very personal thing. We know they're going to have questions along the way. We don't want to just broadcast stock picks and disappear. We want to be here with you uh, throughout this entire journey. And you mentioned... So seven recommendations each month. Sometimes those might be repeats, but obviously there's a lot of companies now in the seven investing universe. So how do members get a grasp on the the advisor's conviction around certain ideas? Like which ones do do they are do they have a way of knowing which uh, whether advisors like certain ones more? That's the most common question we've gotten actually since we started is what's your favorite ideas right now? You know, we've done the diligence on almost 200 unique companies now and put them on the scorecard and people would say, hey, this is too much to keep up with. How do I even know where to start? And so we've kind of uh, evolved as, as a company. You know, one thing that we've started doing is best buys every month. Each advisor gets to pick any of their or another advisor's previous recommendations and put the flag on it that says, this is my best buy for October. And we publish those for subscribers. The other thing that we've started doing is issuing conviction ratings on companies that are also right there on the scorecard. So if you see a previous recommendation, we go everything from potential sell, which is the most negative flag we can put on a stock, to strong buy, which is the most positive bullish flag that we can mark things with. And you can filter through all of those to really quickly see, here's some of our favorite opportunities. And we've taken this even one step further now, Ryan, which is we've created a strong buy portfolio where every quarter now we've gone ahead and self-selected as a team through a pretty methodical process, our 20 favorite ideas, our 20 highest scoring companies that we've collectively come up with, our favorites of the entire scorecard. And we put these into what we're calling a strong buy portfolio that we publish each quarter, also available as an added benefit for no extra charge for seven investing members. All right, last question here. What does it cost to become a seven investing subscriber? Uh, and as a, you know, we'll talk about, or we have talked about before, if you're a listener, use code money to get a hundred dollars off your annual subscription. 
That's right. Yeah, we do have a monthly option. You know, you can come in and check out the entire scorecard for a month just to see what you're looking at for $49 a month. Uh, but our most popular plan is actually the annual option because it's at a discount to that. Uh, in fact, we've got a discount on the discount, like you mentioned, Brett. Uh, $3.99 for the year is our is our annual option price. But if you use money, the chit chat money promo code, it's down to $300. So you're basically getting the the subscription for half price if you sign up for the annual offer with that promo code. That does not expire after the first year. As long as you remain an active subscriber, you get to lock in that $100 off a year benefit. All right. Well, as he mentioned, use that code money. Thanks for joining us, Simon. Thanks very much for having me.